Abraham's name is changed from Abram to Abraham. Now that's very interesting because God shifts the way he's dealing with the man. This is something else. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, my name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. As we go through the Bible, we come upon Genesis 17. And this is a very interesting day to look at it. We're going to do that in the next 30 minutes. Also, Corey is here with Ryan. Today, I'm going to be taking a look at very ancient pastimes that are very similar to today's pastimes. More on that later. Today, I'm pleased to be sitting down with my very good friend, Calvin Smith, who's been on this program before. And today he's here to talk about dinosaurs and the Bible. Oh my goodness, dinosaurs and the Bible. What are you doing, Jan? <laughs> Called Following the Lord. All right, very good. There's a lot to cover in the next half hour, so let's do so. Open up your Bible guides. Let's look at the Word of God, the most important book ever written. Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8. When Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through eight. Genesis 14 to 17, that's what we're reading today. And this is fascinating. In Genesis chapter 17, the Lord speaks to Abraham and tells him two significant things. First, his name will be changed from Abram to Abraham, from father to exalted father. Now, this is interesting, how God will address him from this time forward. Fascinating. Now, second, God tells Abraham and us that the land which he is in will be given to him and his descendants. Later in Scripture, we will learn and hear the name that God gave to this land. It will be called Israel. And the Word of God explains all things relevant to us today. And when we read it and listen to the way God speaks, we begin to understand why things are the way they are today. History is incredibly important because it explains to us 
how we got where we are in the present. It gives us the reason for our circumstances. Many have tried to erase history, to change the history of God's word so that they can rewrite the present. But this is wrong, and it's a wrong strategy. Remember that history is not the enemy. We need to understand that, beloved. Now, if you don't have your Bible guide, my suggestion would be go to our website, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, and you can click on the Bible Discovery Guide. And when you do that, let me tell you what will happen. It will take you to a place where you can make, of course, a donation. Thank you for that. And that's how we survive around here, so we thank you for that. And then it will take you to a place where you can download it as it's printed. And join us in seconds, in fact. So I want to encourage you to get a hold of your Bible guide. Today, we're going to focus on a name change. Now, we name our children typically in the West, but it wasn't always that way. God named our children in the past, and we would seek for God's direction. A lot of times we ask, you know, uh, our wives or our husbands, what do you think about the name and all of that? But today, what we need to do and remember to do is ask each other, but ask the Lord. Lord, what would you have me name this person? Now, that's interesting. As we go forward, let's pray. Father, I pray today that we would hear you on the idea of names. And we understand, Lord, that our names are different. They've been changed throughout time. And we understand that because you changed them. So help us, Lord, to become to make our lives follow what you have called us to do and not what we want to do. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. I, I remember there was this time when a gentleman said to me, I'm seeking the will of God, I'm seeking the will of God, and I need to know, and I don't know. And I said, well, what is it you're seeking? He said, actually, I'd like a Ferrari, and I think that's the will of God. I said, well, brother, let me tell you something. I really don't think a Ferrari is God's will for you, and so I'm not going to pray for a Ferrari for you. And it's, it's a lot of times we get our own desires wrapped up into God's will. But let's look at the Lord, what he's done in Genesis chapter 17 and understand. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, now this is 99 years old. That's an old, I mean, that's, that's a guy who lives a long time. Now he lived 175, but still that's more than half his life. He said, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. This is important. And you shall be a father of many nations. God is giving him more details. Now, God tells Abraham that he will be the father of many nations. And let me tell you something. What God tells us changes how we think. How do we think? How do you think? How do I think? You know, we need to pay attention to this because how we think relates to how we believe, relates to what we do. How do we think? One of the reasons we give God Lord in our life is to change the way we think about sin and about everything else. So we need to keep that in mind. Now, Genesis chapter 17, verse 5 is also interesting. It says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. 
for I, God says, have made you father of many nations. <laughs> and this is what God does. God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Our lives change when we are born again into God's call. So remember, beloved, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, that does not mean your life is going to stay the same. That means your life is going to change. Now, God has given each of us certain talents and abilities. And when we align those talents and abilities with God's plan, that changes everything. Keep that in your heart and keep that in your mind because we need to, we need to allow God to affect our lives. That's what living for the Lord as a servant of the Lord means. Keep that in your heart. Keep that in your mind. We'll pray about that in a minute. Now, Genesis 17, verses 6 to 8. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, I will. And I will make you nations. I will make nations of you. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. What does that mean? A covenant that lasts forever. To be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land, which you are a stranger, and all the land of Canaan. As an everlasting possession, I will be their God. Now that's fascinating because that explains a lot today. The land of Israel is given to the sons and the daughters of Abraham. We always must remain committed to God's covenant. Beloved, did you hear what, what we read? Did you hear what we talked about? The land is Israel. And everybody thought Israel was gone before 1948. They thought that's God's done with her. No, forget it, finish her. They taught all kinds of theology on it. And then Israel's back. Here they are again. And let me tell you something. They've come from everywhere, and they're in that land. Jerusalem is about 950,000, approaching a million people. I mean, it is stunning how powerful that nation has become. Why? Because God has destined that nation for something. Now, we, we need to go. I remember my wife, when we went to Israel, she said to me, I said, are you ready to go to Israel for the first time? I had been there many times. And she said, she was quiet. And she said, you know, I feel like I'm going home. When she landed on the property, she said, I'm home. And that's true. That's exactly where Jesus Christ is coming back, beloved. So we need to understand that's why Israel's important. And by the way, that's the, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that I believe we're in the end of time. Because here's Israel. He's in our time and sharing space on planet Earth is the nation of God with the church of God, the bride of Christ and the people of God. Very, very important. Now we'll get more on this in the future, but keep that in mind.
All right, so as we read through, you know, the, the Bible's account of Abraham, you have probably noticed that it records what were perhaps the most intense episodes in Abram and Abraham's life. Lots of warfare, lots of, you know, actually talking with God, name changes, family drama and trauma, all of the above. But we know that Abraham's life wasn't intense 100% of the time. So what were some of the, the things that Abraham would do when he had, you know, some hours to kill, some time to spend with his family or friends? What would he have done? History can help us out. Take a look. Games and board games are sometimes seen as a modern luxury, but history shows that humans everywhere and in every time have invented and played games. As far back into human history as modern man can see, there's evidence of gameplay. The earliest examples come from the Neolithic time period and often include Mancala-type boards carved into stone floors. These games have rows of holes in which pebbles, seeds, bones, or other small objects would be placed as game pieces, racing or battling other players for pieces. If not right away, this style of game was eventually carved into portable boards made of wood, clay, stone, or even ivory. Its dice and possibly point counters would have been made of similar materials, or sheep ankle bones were a popular form of dice. Dice themselves have an incredibly long history, both as a way to move in board games and as games themselves. The most ancient dice known today date to the 3rd millennium BC from Mesopotamia and modern-day Pakistan. Like today, dice came in many different shapes, sizes, and materials, and our most popular form of dice are represented in the ancient world. In the Roman Empire, dicing was nearly a sport. Competitive professional dicing leagues existed, and profits by gambling could become a man's full-time job. Some of the most famous gamblers were the emperors themselves. The oldest complete board game found is referred to as the Royal Game of Ur, or 20 squares. It dates to the middle of the 3rd millennium BC, and the game's date of invention must have been before this. 20 squares was played all over the ancient world, and excitingly, the modern curator of the British Museum translated a cuneiform tablet that gave instructions on how to play at least one ancient version of it. It was essentially a race. This 20 squares game is related to another game popular in ancient Egypt and was widely played in biblical Canaan, 30 squares, or Senate. Senate was played on a board made up of three rows of 10 squares. It was a pastime played by all levels of society and eventually took on religious symbolism as seen in the imagery on existing game boards and in tomb paintings. There has even been a satirical painting found of animals playing Senate. In the biblical world specifically, there have been many games unearthed archaeologically. In Jerusalem, there are over 25 public board games found inscribed in stone, and a more mysterious game called Dogs and Jackals was found in ancient Megiddo. Games were not limited to the board game variety. Historical versions of the yo-yo were popular in ancient Greece and made from clay, metal, and wood. Likewise, the ancients enjoyed toys, puppets, tops, and many other forms of entertainment. So this was just a fun, you know, segment to take a look and see what kinds of fun people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives and sons and, and friends, you know, they would have partaken in. So 
Just some fun I, I, facts for us all to I, At our family gathering here, I played yes. that game. Okay, so it, I, I have purchased, uh, my husband and I have purchased a reconstruction of the Royal Game of Ur. So we, that's the one that you've played. It was Royal great. Yeah, I it's lost. Very fun. I lost, but <laughs> yes, it was just great to play it. And I was getting used to it and all that. Yeah, it's fun. Man, it was something else. Not bad. All right. Time to pull that out again. <laughs> exactly. <Yes. laughs> All right, Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, well, if you've been watching the program over the last couple of days, you know that during our read-through of Genesis this year, I'm going to be running some interviews that I conducted at a recent creation conference that was put on by Answers in Genesis. And if you don't know, Answers in Genesis, or AIG, specializes in the book of Genesis and how it relates to the gospel and the rest of Scripture. And for more on that, I encourage you to visit their website at AnswersInGenesis.org. But for right now, I want to play a short clip of my very lengthy interview with Calvin Smith, who is the executive director and speaker for Answers in Genesis Canada. And in this clip, I ask him specifically about dinosaurs. In particular, where do dinosaurs fit into scripture? So let's jump into the interview already in progress. Well said. I just want to switch gears a little bit here. I know one of your favorite subjects, topics, is dinosaurs. Yep. yep. Now, of course, dinosaurs are often considered the holy grail of evolution. Absolutely. So let me ask you, how do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? Right. Well, let me give you a practical uh, example of how I do that, because uh, the church that I go to in London, Ontario, uh, is Redemption Bible Chapel, we have GO teams, so uh, gospel outreach teams. And uh, they were actually initiated by my friend Corey McKenna from the Cross Current Ministry, which you know very well. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the last times I was out with Go Teams, uh, there's me and three other people, and we come up, you know, we're passing out tracks, we share the gospel with people on, on, on a weekly basis. So we're going along, and we come across these two young fellows, um, well, I call them young, they're probably university students, waiting for their bus. We're like, great, they can't run away. <laughs> and uh, so the team leader started sharing the gospel with them. Now immediately, one of the reactions was the guy just turned away, he wasn't interested. But the other fellow, as he was hearing the gospel message, all the way through the gospel presentation, he was, he was like, he was like, you know, he's trying to get a word in edgewise. And, and, and the fellow kept going, and as soon as his mouth stopped moving, the guy backed up a couple of steps, and this is what he did. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you Christians believe about dinosaurs? First question. And so the leader looked at the fellow, and he looked at me, and he said, well, go talk to that guy, because he knows what I do. And I said to them, I said, dinosaurs, I said, dinosaurs are a great proof of the history of the Bible. What? He looks at me with his face, and I said, man, get out your smartphone. Why? I said, just get that. I said, type in Mary Schweitzer soft tissue T-Rex. What? I said, just. So he does it, and he's like, because these pictures come up. And they're pictures that were published in Science Magazine of what this paleontologist Mary Schweitzer found inside of a Tyrannosaur, supposedly 70 million years old, soft, stretchy, unfossilized, red blood vessels, red blood cells. I said, can you see that that could not have possibly lasted for 70 million years? There is no way God is going to allow you to use this as an excuse when you stand in front of him and you say, there was no evidence of you. The evidence of God's creation is everywhere, right? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Because of God's creation, you can know there is a creator. And so, you know, we had this great conversation, and I've, I've told my church audiences about this time after time, because think about it. <clears throat> Just prior to my interaction with him, this young man had heard the most, well, the most valuable, the most important message any human being can hear, which is the saving message of the gospel. 
And yet, all the way through the gospel presentation, he's kind of like, la, 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 la. So he can get to the end and tell the Christians, what do you believe about dinosaurs? Why did he do that? Because of the indoctrination system we have in our secular uh, media and school system. He was taught that dinosaurs died about 70, you know, 65 point whatever million years ago. Dinosaurs evolved into birds. That means evolution's a fact. That means creation's not true. That means the Bible's not true. Why are you guys telling me about some dead guy who came back to life to save me from my sin? See, there's the direct gospel connection, and most Christians don't even, don't even get that. So there is so much evidence showing that dinosaurs had lived just a little while ago. They actually interacted with human beings, which typically people are like, what? They, you know, but why are all these carvings, and why are all these depictions, and why are all the, these dragon legends from around the world? People groups from around the world claim that in the past they, their ancestors saw these huge reptilian beasts. And they're depicted in carvings and, and tapestries and, and all sorts of things. Um, you know, one of my favorite examples is the, the Stegosaurus carving in the, in the temple in Angkor, right, in Cambodia, supposedly carved about 800 years ago. And I will, you know, put that up in my dinosaur presentation. I'll have young people, seven, eight years old, I'll say, anyone know what that one is? Hands go up. That's a Stegosaurus. I say, how do you know it's a Stegosaurus? Well, it's in my dinosaur book. It's in Jurassic Park. Okay. The point I'm making is, why can a modern-day seven-year-old point to that and say it's a stegosaurus? I mean, that's pretty specific. It's not just a generic dragon or a dinosaur or whatever. There's only, you know, plates on the back and, and all that stuff. Why, why does he know it's a stegosaurus? Because the way it's depicted in a modern book, they weren't doing dinosaur digs 800 years ago in Cambodia. Those people saw that thing and carved it into there because they saw... They weren't doing, you know, dino digs and stuff like that. That's the most logical explanation. And, of course, Answers in Genesis, we have a ton of this type of stuff that we show. And I really encourage people to, to go to the website and look up, you know, just dinosaur soft tissue or, or dinosaur depictions or dragons or dinosaurs, these, these types of things, to show that this is far from a, a slam-bang proof for evolution. So, as I've mentioned on the previous two programs, my full interview with Calvin, as well as some others like Bodie Hodge, Patricia Engler, Corey McKenna, and even molecular geneticist Dr. Georgia Purdom, are all available on this DVD set called A World by Design, the Niagara Conference. You can write or call in for it, and it's even available on our website as a digital download if you prefer. The website is www.biblediscoverytv.com. You know, Calvin, Calvin Smith is just awesome. He's an awesome guy. He's great. And uh, these interviews are awesome. They're excellent. Okay. <laughs> you don't like it, do you? Well, no, we've got, <laughs> we've got a little time here. So go. That's all You're right. Good. That's all right. I titled this Following the Lord. And here's why. This is such an, an inter interesting portion of Genesis chapter 17. It's titled in my New King James Bible, The Sign of the Covenant. The sign that, uh, that God made with Abraham was listed in verse 11, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. It was a physical sign and demonstration given to Abraham that all the male children born, all the Hebrew children born, would be circumcised, and that was in the flesh. Now, I want to go back and look at verse 1, because this is what struck me as I was reading it this year. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. So first of all, I think, you know what? It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Some of us can say, oh, well, I'm this such and such an age. I'm too old. What's that saying? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, here's Abram 
at 99 years old and God is talking to him. He appears to him and he says, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And you think, well, how could anybody be blameless? And it is a choice to be blameless, to change our ways, to change our thinking. And God gave a new covenant. And as we go through the Bible, you're going to see that the theme of this Bible is Jesus Christ. And you will see that he is the new covenant that God gave, that no longer would there be a physical sign in the flesh that brought salvation. It doesn't do that. The writer of Hebrews explains that very, very well. And he actually quotes Jeremiah 31, 31, starting at verse 33 in Jeremiah. But this is the covenant God says that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And as I said, the writer of Hebrews quotes that as well in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 13. When we come to the Lord Jesus, we give him our lives to live and to follow him. That's what walking with him is, following him, letting him lead us. We can only be blameless through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Does that mean we're perfect people? Absolutely not. We fall and fail all the time, but we come to the Lord and submit ourselves to him. Submit isn't a very popular word in this culture, is it? But it just means giving over our desires and our right to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. And so in Mark 10, 21, then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, and this was the rich young ruler, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. We don't know what happened to that rich young ruler, what decision he made, but Jesus always encourages us to follow him. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to all of them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Abram had a choice to make here. Would he follow God's commands and covenants or would he go astray? You and I have that same choice to make today. remember that the time in which we open up the prayer meeting at 3.30 Eastern time on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday is always exciting for us. Join us and we'll pray for you live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30. Today, we need to pray that we commit our lives to follow Jesus Christ. Father, help us today as we give our lives to you. Help us to do the right things your way, not our way. 